So welcome everyone. Welcome to our asset allocation podcast. I'm my name's William Parry. I am an investment consultant in the AON Investment team. I'm very excited to be joined by Paul Whelan. Paul is our head of fixed income research. He's got over 20 years in the game, um, both as a fund manager and a researcher. A hugely knowledgeable individual and without question one of the most detailed researchers I've ever met in fixed income. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, William. Let's kick off the uh, the question. I've got a couple of questions. Um, first one, I will start with what's happened over uh, this year, in particular the first quarter, looking at both where we were as we came to the year and then what happened over those crazy few months in March. Sure. So when we started 2020, it's actually a fairly boring outlook for fixed income markets, if I'm honest, even relative to what some might expect fixed income typically to be. So we started the year fairly nascent markets, spreads across investment grade credit and high yield, had ended the year 2019 on a broadly stable footing. So spreads came into the year 2020 somewhat lower than a long-term historical average. Yeah, Investment grade spreads and high yield were both priced for the so-called Goldilocks scenario. This led us to, to see some caution within credit markets given that valuation. Now, whilst we didn't foresee an immediate catalyst for material spread widening or an increase in corporate defaults, we were slightly cautious given just the level of where spreads were, which indeed were close to their tightest levels that we'd observed since the global financial crisis. As we started the month of January, we actually began to see continued outperformance of credit markets, with spreads tightening slightly throughout January. However, this situation rapidly transformed as we moved into February. As we got towards the second half of February, the spread of the coronavirus was becoming a global phenomenon. It had moved on from being an epidemic to a global pandemic. Markets were beginning to shut down and economies had gone into global lockdown. And this led to huge falls in risk assets and fixed income was by no means immune to this backdrop. At the same time, this was coupled by rising tensions amongst various oil producing nations, which was leading to a large fall in the price of oils. The combination of these two factors led to unprecedented moves in markets and exacerbated the falls that we'd seen from the coronavirus alone. However, towards the end of the quarter, we began to see coordinated action from central banks and governments to help provide somewhat of a backstop and lead to somewhat of a relief in risk assets from their lows of the year. Okay, that's interesting. We'll come back to the relief rally in a bit. But just over that period, what was it that raised your eyebrows the most, would you say? Sure, my eyebrows probably peaked the most with just how fast the move wider in credit spreads was. Now, we didn't see credit spreads widen to the levels that we saw during the global financial crisis, but the magnitude of the move was so swift, and that truly was unprecedented. For example, the moves that we saw wider in spreads in investment grade and high yield markets that took place over a two-week period took over two months to have occurred during the global financial crisis. That, to me, I think was a standout nature, that fastness and viciousness of the sell-off in risk assets. Yes, okay. So uh, I think equivalent in equity markets was we saw the fastest bear market that the S&P 500 had ever seen. Uh, so across risk assets, obviously difficult, difficult times. Looking ahead and trying to turn this round, did this give rise to new opportunities for people that were either uh, perhaps looking to build or, or add to credit portfolios over time? It certainly did, in our opinion. Now, clearly, as we all know, there's still not yet a solution to the coronavirus. And indeed, we're sat here now being ever conscious of the, the prospect of a, a potential second wave, despite the fact that we're beginning to see economies reopen gradually and cautiously around the globe. However, 
one thing we do know that is true in terms of crises is that crises elicit a, a panic response. This is true within financial markets. And we see what we know is that the flight to quality. Investors look to move as soon as they can to raise liquidity in their portfolios and to move to so-called safe haven assets, such as developed government bonds and indeed cash. Yeah, we've definitely seen this happen, as I said. You know, we've seen one of the fastest sell-offs in, in history ever recorded. And this led to indiscriminate selling of positions within portfolios. That, as we believe is true of all these crises, as we say, has led to prices in certain sectors and certain companies overreacting compared to what fundamentals would suggest, setting the way forward and opening up opportunities for long-term investors to be able to take advantage of as they look to add or establish new credit portfolios going forwards. Okay, that's good. I um, I must admit, I always thought fixed income would be one of the steadier parts of the portfolio, but it, it sounds like uh, anything but, and certainly at the moment, anything but. You you mentioned earlier that there there have been some sort of relief rally since quarter end. Central banks have pumped in liquidity uh, to the point that economies are potentially almost becoming distorted and people are excited about what the outcome is going to be. How has this impacted markets since then? Yes, un- undoubtedly. Whilst we say that the pace of declines in markets was extraordinary, so has the rebound in, in many asset classes. For example, US equities as we stand, the S&P 500 is now back above the 3000 mark. At many times we hear different letters of the alphabet being used to describe the potential shape of recovery. This one has become almost mathematical in nature. The recent pickup that we've seen in equity markets has resembled more of a square root sign than a V or indeed a U might have suggested. So what we've seen within equity markets has to an extent been also echoed within the fixed income markets. We began to see spreads come back in towards more normal levels within markets. However, we haven't got there yet. You know, we still see across the board many sectors and individual issues where spreads remain comfortably elevated compared to where they have been at the start of this year and indeed versus their long-term average. Now, clearly, as we know, there will be some areas of the market and sectors which are potentially irreparably damaged from the current situation and the aspect of coronavirus. But there are also sectors and issuers that are positioned very well and look to remain very resilient throughout this environment. And therefore, whilst we have seen some retracement in spreads, spreads still seem somewhat elevated compared to history. We've seen a huge wave of issuance come into the market, particularly from the investment-grade corporate bonds, and this has led to greater certainty over near-term cash flows from those issuers which again has helped return confidence to the market. As, as William said, fixed income investors and indeed people who work in fixed income are normally renowned for their, their excitability. But we've seen huge levels of you know, unprecedented change within the economy. And this has led to opportunities that we've not seen before, at least not in my career. As we've seen though, companies have been able to take advantage of the issuance levels that we've seen shoring up their capital base. And this has now led to the market beginning to focus more on the actual ongoing resilience and hence of underlying health of underlying corporate balance sheets going forward. You know, as I said at the start, we've seen relatively nascent markets or more boring environment. What we see now though is huge dispersion between issuers and sectors and individual companies that has been relatively you know, unheard of since the global financial crisis. This is giving rise to opportunities for investors to take advantage of. Whilst we know there'll be some sectors and some companies which unfortunately will be irreparably damaged from the current environment due to the outbreak of the coronavirus. There are other sectors that will remain very resilient or indeed actually be able to benefit from from the situations. 
We've all adapted to a new way of working, you know, working from home, making more use of technology and online systems. And this has led to huge growth in companies and issuers that previously weren't available to the market. So we feel, yes, whilst clear we've been through very uncertain times, we feel that it's a huge opportunity establishing for investors to take advantage of, despite the fact that there's already been a strong rebound in, in risk assets since the crisis. Yeah, interesting. You, you touched on digitalization uh, there. Like many of us, are through what has been a terrible crisis, both financially and from a humanitarian perspective, there have been some positives. If you look hard enough, digitalization is one. Another one of the positives that people have been talking about is the drop in emissions because there's been so much so, so much less industrial activity. Um, linking that to these portfolios, how can you incorporate ESG? This is obviously one of the dominant themes across markets over the last few years. How do we make sure that this is reflected in these new look portfolios? Yes, that's a great, great question, William. And, and you know, an issue that we are hotly talking to to our clients about. Now, we believe ESG is critical in the establishment of, of all portfolios. You know, and, and the current situation, as you've described, uh, only brings that more to the fore. You know, gone are the days when investors felt they had a choice between considering ESG and responsible investing principles within their investments as a trade-off to their risk-reward potential. We believe that isn't the case. In fact, we think the opposite is true. You know, we believe it's critical to have an assessment of ESG and how that might impact individual securities and the overall shape of your portfolio. And indeed, that will help drive improved risk returns, not that it's a trade-off. So we feel that now is a critical time and a perfect time for clients to take advantage of ESG considerations, choosing managers and strategies that can show and demonstrate ESG at the heart and lifebeat of those strategies in the selection and building of portfolios. As we know, within fixed income, trading costs can be high, and they only go higher during times of market stress. Thus, they can significantly eat into the available yield and expected return an investor can get. So one wants to be able to invest in securities that they are comfortable of the long-term health and stability of those companies going forwards. And thus, therefore, including ESG considerations into coming up with that decision of what securities to select is critical, in our opinion. And indeed, as a matter of course, across all of our fixed income and equity managers that we rate, we assign specific ESG scores to all of those strategies. Yeah, so very much a fully integrated part of your research process. Just thinking a bit more uh, broadly, it sounds like there are some good opportunities out there, which you've, uh, you've already highlighted. These always come with a flip side. What are your points of caution if people are looking to allocate credit? Yes, yeah, sure. So clearly, as we said at the start of this, we know where we are today. But the outlook is still very uncertain for the recovery of markets and indeed if there should be another onset of the coronavirus yeah. this leads to some caution you know in terms of investors being able to make large allocations however what it does also bring to the fore and what i've discussed in the previous conversation so far is around the differentiation that we are seeing in markets as i said we've gone through fairly stable boring low default markets you know many managers were able to outperforming inverted commas their benchmark simply by being overweight credit beta versus the index. If now in this environment where the true skill of managers really comes to the fore and that necessity of having not only a strong, rigorous selection of your underlying strategy, but also which managers you wish to choose to implement those really come to the fore as the elevated level of dispersion 
whilst it does create opportunity and the potential for winners to deliver strong returns for your portfolios, we also see that there will be an expected pickup in the level of defaults. And therefore, it's also critical that you select successful strategies and successful managers who are most likely positioned to be able to avoid those pitfalls as we go through the treacherous path ahead of us. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I'm just going to sum up what I think were the key points you made there. So uh, you started off, one of your first words was the word boring uh, when you were describing the start of the year. And then clearly what transpired over the following months was anything but. And the speed and magnitude of those particularly aggressive moves in March, while painful at the time, uh, did give rise to some opportunities, particularly within the shorter dated market. And I think also you saying across broader credit themes, allowing managers a bit more freedom. To, uh, to select their instruments under the bonnet. There are also some, some good things that have come out around ESG, and obviously that's, that's a key area that needs to be incorporated when building one of these portfolios. And I think just lastly, picking up on your points of caution, effectively the way that markets are going to pan out over coming weeks, months, years, remains incredibly uncertain. So I guess really what you're saying is making sure that it's worth having high quality managers, sensible diversification of managers and the ability to move between them through rigorous governance as and when you need to. Thank you once again for your time and thank you everyone else for listening. Goodbye.